So you're not sure if you'll be able to keep it going until the next generation? It's No, I do. Honestly, I don't know. What's your biggest fear with that? That it's just going to be parceled off and it's not going to be farmland anymore. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. People who work on farms, farm workers, and how they're treated, the conditions they face, how they're paid. These have been areas of concern in recent years, including here in Washington State. But what is the truth? What is really going on out there and who to listen to about this issue? Our guest this week grew up in a family of farm workers. It's super personal to her and their family has lived that life. They know what it's all about. Now they own their own orchard in Tenasket, Washington. So we talk with Flor de Maria Maldonado about this situation and a bunch of other things about the struggles that they face in their orchard and growing excellent cherries and apples and pears. But also we talk about really what is going on with farm workers and what about some of the recent laws like overtime that's very recently been passed for farm workers here in Washington state. What does she really think about that? And who does she say people should really listen to? It's a fascinating conversation, an incredible backstory that she brings, and we had a lot of fun, too, hanging out in the orchard. Beautiful spot, and you'll see it in just a sec, where we were able to uh, shoot this episode, again, in Tenasket, Washington, where we talked with Flor de Maria Maldonado. Our sponsors are Mana Insurance Group, based here in Linden, Washington, where I'm from, a farming community, and they have offices in California and Arizona now. Uh, the company is run by a classmate of mine, someone who I've known since we were both kids, so I have a lot of uh, trust and respect for what they do there uh, because I know the ethos behind that organization. Um, they're all about planning ahead to protect your financial future rather than just waiting until something goes wrong and having to pick up the pieces. Also, Washington Dairy Farmers. Dairy Farmers of Washington sponsoring the podcast. Uh, you can check out their website, wadairy.org, where they have a virtual farm tour that you can go through, you and or your kids. Very informative, lots to learn. And they have so many other great stories that they share at uh, Dairy Farmers of Washington. Also, Washington Red Raspberries is supporting the podcast. And Williams, Powering Your Clean Energy Future, is supporting uh, this podcast where we share stories from folks around the food system across Washington State each week. We thank all of those sponsors. I'm Dylan Honkoop. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Again, sharing stories of the real people behind our food all over Washington State. So your family has a background in farm work. You, your family will were farm workers. Yes, that's that's correct. So my parents immigrated to the States in the 80s, and they started at California and wound up settling in Wenatchee area, uh, specifically Chelan Falls, and were seasonal farm workers in apples, cherries, and pears, and whatever whatever jobs they could find in the area. Yeah, so out in the field, and then eventually mom started working in a, a packing house. It's hard work? Yeah, <laughs> it is hard work. It's... Yeah. So have you done that kind of work too? Have you done the farm worker life? Yeah. So growing up, um, my parents purchased this, this orchard, which we're still, we're almost done paying off. Hopefully we'll get <laughs> awesome. there. Yeah. Awesome. We'll, we'll get there. Um, and we did every job growing up. There was not a lot of money and labor's expensive. It's even more mm -hmm. expensive now, but back then it was when you're a smaller grower, you end up doing most of it by yourself if you can. Yeah. And I have a large family, seven brothers, two sisters. So <laughs> my dad jokes around that he did it for the free labor. <laughs> but yeah, we did every job from thinning, fixing irrigation, um, uh, pruning, removing, like the easier jobs because we were kids. So like the large branches that they would prune, we'd make them like smaller. We'd cut them down some more so mm -hmm. the tractor could easily mow over them. Yeah, tree tying, bunch of the baby tree stuff, so you wouldn't have to use ladders. Maybe. So you were probably like me growing up, where summertime was not the time to go on vacation. No, my <laughs> friends would get all excited. Oh my gosh, it's summer vacation! It's gonna be great. And we're like, man, yeah, it's great. But it was actually it was fun because um, we'd get to be outdoors all the time. Uh, spring break, the same way. We get some thinning down during yeah. spring break usually. Hey, it's spring break. Get to work on the farm. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> what it was. 
Yeah, or helping apply the the pheromones in the trees for mating disruption. We uh, back in the day was like little twist tie things. Mm-hmm. That was the most common, at least in this area. I'm not sure about other areas, and we get to spend a while sitting down and just twist tying. So explain that pheromone disruption, mating disruption. What's that all about? It sounds like something to do with bugs. Yes, it it does have to do with the bugs. Uh, This specific type of pheromone disruption is for calling moth. And that Mm. is a pest very common in apples and, and pears as well. But it really likes apples. And it will fly around. And it will puncture the apple and it will put a little worm in there. <laughs> and no one's going to want to buy apples with worms in them. So we, um, instead of spraying a bunch of chemicals, which is what everyone used to do back in the day, they realized that if you prevent them from reproducing through mm. the use of mating disruption, it really helps control those numbers and makes everything pretty like stable under yeah. control. Is that like apple maggots? Is that the same kind of thing? No, it is not. It's not like apple maggots. Um, but it's a that's also insect. a bug that you need to keep out, Yes, right? yeah, that's a bug we need to keep out as well. And there's a different applications, diff- different inputs you can use for that. But yeah, you're definitely out there making sure they're like they haven't been in this area yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're lucky. Well, um, I think everybody sees that when they drive on the highway across the state, all of a sudden it'll be an apple maggot quarantine zone. Yeah. It's like, what's that all about? Most people have no idea. So mm-hmm. what is the significance of that? That's a big deal if somebody brings so, fruit across that's infected? Yeah, and it actually happened, ironically, it was our uh, it was our governor that brought some, I don't know if you heard about that. Um, I, I don't want to get into politics too much. <laughs> but um, he was being kind, brought some homegrown fruit, mm-hmm. and unfortunately it was infested with apple apple maggots and um, now some have been some larvae and pupae have been found in the Okanagan County oh, no. luckily not near our orchards but um, currently members of the um, agricultural community are trying to figure out a way to hopefully eradicate or keep the numbers low so we don't have to become a quarantine area as well so hopefully we stay ahead of it and everything goes back to normal um, but we'll see so that's the same kind of thing that uh, the bug will drill into the fruit, right? And and, and yeah, all, so all bugs like in the fruit. Yeah, and it keeps us out of certain markets. Mm. Um, and there's certain uh, for storage as well. They have to be stored longer, so then you're kicked out of that that early market. Which a bunch of times, especially in organics, you don't want to be one. You pay money to have your fruit stored. Yeah. Two, it like starts to decay over time, and like unless you do a bunch of fungicides, which in organics, which our family orchard is organic um there aren't as many inputs you can use uh you definitely have a lot less uh materials in your toolbox for that Mm -hmm. so it's just more you know another little headache you have to worry about so hopefully um it ends up not become okanagan county ends up not being a quarantine area so you guys grow apples cherries and pears correct talk talk about what what's going on around us right now in the orchards so right now we are, well, everything's really young right now. Right here next to us, um, I don't know if they're going to be able to, s- I'm guessing they can see this. Oh, yeah. you have cameras right. out. Totally. Um, so we have some cherry trees. And if you look closely, the little green bowls. Yeah, I see like all the green cherries. Green, almost like a straw color yeah. on the earlier varieties that we have as pollinators uh, in there. They're cherries. So soon there will be red yeah, so cherries on there. Yeah. Oh, what varieties are these? Do you know? So we have some Rainiers yeah. and some Lapins as well. Mm. But yeah, and like occasional Sweetheart. But, uh, the so in our home block when we first started, yeah, we have it's like little tutti frutti blocks, mm. <laughs> a little mix of everything, because mm-hmm. we were still learning and figuring out what works for the cross pollination and everything. So it's a little more difficult during harvest. <laughs> Because uh, we need someone out there identifying the type of trees. But um, in other blocks or newer blocks, it's more solid and makes it more efficient for harvest. But so how soon will uh, these cherries be ready? So our earliest ones will be about June 10th is what we're thinking. Between June 10th, June 15th, depending on the weather. And so what happens at that point? It's like mad scramble to get harvest going and everything? Yeah, it, it is your... We have a bunch of little blocks spread out, so we really have to stay on top of it, traveling to the different blocks every single day to see how the fruit is ripening. Like, we know historically what usually happens, but sometimes things will change. Like, this year we had more frost frost damage in our warm block instead of our cold blocks. 
um, when it came to Terry. So you never really know what to expect. Um, you get a general idea. But it's go, go, go. And we, once again, organics, we can't apply products like Retain, which expand our harvest window or anything. Um, use that more in apples. But um, anyways, it's just less tools you can use. And mm-hmm. cherries in general, they don't get stored that long. That's a fresh market yeah. product. They, they can't store well. Yeah. Um, so you want to get them out when they're still firm. Um, if they start getting soft, then processing is another option, um, but which we do a, a little bit of. But if we can do fresh market, it's we just like getting it done yeah. out of the way and start focusing on our apples and pear harvest that yeah. we'll be starting. Um, but yeah, and then our apples right now, we're going to be starting thinning to um, so like actually going out there and spreading out the apples on the tree. So you just like kind of pinch them off in a way mm-hmm. so that they can grow more because you want bigger apples. Have fewer apples and it puts more energy into them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. As Leah Eddy down in Sunnyside explained to me uh, a while back on the podcast how this all works with trees and tree fruit and size and all that stuff. Talk about how harvest works, though. Like, you have to go out, what, with ladders and, and take all of this, like, cherries, any of this, you know, pears, apples, Take it all has to be hand-harvested, taken off the tree by hand, right? Yeah, yeah, at least in our operation, everything is done by hand. We have some, um, our employees that have been working with us for a while. We participate in the H-2A program as well, mm. and we do some ladder training, some food safety stuff, Uh they all get little picking lugs or mm-hmm. straps, and they attach a little lug to it during cherries. And they're hand-picking. And these guys are professionals. Like, they can get a – at priest rate, they can make a decent – like, they make a lot of money. Um, the newer guys, that's where they struggle more, and we have more super supervision for them and training mm-hmm. as well. Um, but it's it's pretty hard work because you – you're out there in the Just sun. Ladder with what mm-hmm. a sack on your side or buckets? Yeah, right or? here, right on your belly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. a little. Yep. <laughs> Climbing up the ladder, taking the fruit off the tree, getting buckets mm-hmm. filled, and then putting those in the bins. Yeah, putting them in bins. Um, unless it's rainy years, then we leave them in their little lugs because they bruise easily. Mm. Um, so that's the yellowish right. cherries. Yeah. Usually have a little like red blush yeah, on them, right? Yeah, they have that red blush. Um, yeah. They're delicious. They're very sweet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's how we do it. Then we send the fruit to the warehouse and they'll pack it hopefully within a few days and then wait and we'll receive some money for it. But so yeah. where, where, where do those, like your cherries, where do they go? Do you know? Are so, like grocery stores in around the Pacific Northwest kind of thing? Yeah. So we send them to, the majority of our stuff goes to Bluebird. That's out of Wenatchee. And they have a marketing umbrella, mm-hmm. I guess, or a person that does the marketing and the sales for them that will send it. Oops, I just hit something. No, it's fine. But it sends it all across the world. Um, they can go to Taiwan, China, Mexico, mm. the States, Canada. Um, yeah. And you, if you can get into the Asian market, it's usually pretty good prices. So that's the yeah. goal. If you want nice, large, firm cherries and good quality. How long do they last from when they've... When, when they've been picked until they need to be eaten? It depends on storage, and I don't know the exact answer. I know that they'll put them on planes sometimes so they can get there at a decent hour. They're, depending on the variety as well, like skinas are pretty hardy, so they can mm. put them on a boat. and So they'll, they'll last a couple of weeks ocean. at least because it has to take that long, I think, yeah, for a ship to get across. Yeah, and it has to, to be the right refrigeration and everything. But, yeah. Crazy. So you guys, you would be considered a small orchard, right? Yes. Like, how do you classify, like, when people ask, how big is your orchard, how do you describe it? I, I uh, So in this area, because everyone is a small orchard, we're more like medium size. Yeah. But if you go to, like, the Yakima area where there are larger growers, then we're definitely mm-hmm. a small grower. And I went to WSU in one of my rural sociology classes. That question was brought up. Like, mm-hmm. what defines, like, how do, okay, is this a large farm, medium, yeah. like, small, what classifies it? And depending on what textbook you were looking at or what website, it'd have a different classification. Yeah. Um, I like to think, since, like, we do most of the work ourselves still, we're still mm-hmm. considered um, small, medium, depending who you're talking to, yeah. uh, farm. You do most of the stuff yourself, but you do have to, like, how many people do you need to bring in for harvest time? Um, For cherry harvest, we'll probably bring in another, like, 20 people. 
but uh, through the H2A program, and we try to get locals. And there are some in this area. It gets harder every year to recruit more. Um, I guess recruit isn't the right word to yeah. have people come and visit and harvest for you, help you get the crop off on time. But yeah, so you have to stay competitive with your wages. Yeah. This year, the minimum is sixteen thirty-four, and if an hour, dep- uh, yeah, yeah, an hour, and they can do piece rate, and they're guaranteed that minimum of sixteen thirty-four an hour. Um, and really, where you encourage more people to come is you increase your piece rate, so the amount they can get per per box. Um, but yeah, and then depending on the crop load, if you if your neighbor doesn't have that many cherries and you have more, well, people are going to want to come pick for you because yeah. they can get more more lugs off the trees. Yeah. But um, so there are a lot of variables. But um, yeah. So why do you have to use the H two A program? There isn't enough local force, lo- labor force, a large enough local labor force. I guess is the proper terminology. Um, but yeah, there aren't enough people coming all the way to Tenasket. When I worked in the Yakima area, there were more locals, but they also had to participate everywhere. You have to mm-hmm. participate in the H two A program. It seems like because um, your locals a bunch of times during harvest, especially. They will follow the the harvest just like my parents would. They'd mm-hmm. go spend a couple of weeks at this orchard, then go to the neighbors and um, just follow where harvest is because people make the most money doing the piece right jobs, uh, especially during during harvest. But yeah. So your parents were migrant farm workers, and now they hire H two A workers mm-hmm. themselves as now orchard owners. The HUA program has been kind of controversial. What's that like for workers? You know, people have said, well, you know, it's, you know, exploitation or, you know, workers in that program don't have a lot of choice and they're, you know, being used essentially. Yeah. What, what's, what's the story with that? So from what we have seen, our experience is people want to participate in the H2A program. When you sign up to be a part of it, your phone number, your email, or your contact info goes on the, I believe it's the DOLs website and we're constantly getting emails phone calls from other people wanting Mm. to come and and work for us but if we like we only need x amount of people um and they're wanting to be here and they're excited they're happy Mm. they're making a lot more than if they they would be and our people come from mexico Mm -hmm. than they would be in mexico and they come here and they want to work they want to put in a lot of hours and send as much money home as they can um, we have guys that are building house their own houses and are excited and they'll show us pictures and mm. be like, hey, whenever you guys want, like my home's over here, like in the wintertime, December, mm-hmm. November, January, when they're not over here because th- they're not here year round just for a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, they're inviting us, hey, come and visit. So nice. it's really, it's neat seeing um how how they're changing their their lives we have a few people that come with us for a couple years especially the younger guys and then they'll go back to school in mexico Mm. um and then vice versa we have some people that studied in mexico um, went to university however they're making more money in the state so they'd rather come over here Mm. so it's um so it's not like they feel like they don't have any choice no that's not the the circumstances at Mm. all Why, why do you think there's that narrative out there about that program then why why does it have this like bad name with some people i i've never met anyone that claims that so i'm i don't know i don't know everyone's story um but from what we have experienced from what we have seen that is not the case um i yeah i'm not sure Mm. i'm not sure why there are some people claiming that it's a terrible program i know when like H2A first started happening, a bunch of the local labor was scared that they were going to be losing their jobs. Mm, right. Yeah. We're like, hey, it's because there aren't enough of you guys. It's not mm-hmm. that we're replacing you. Mm-hmm. Like the local labor, if we could be 100% local labor, that would be ideal. Like we don't have to worry about getting people their visas, trans- like transportation to come all the way to Washington from Mexico yeah. and so many other just little yeah paperwork and things we have to do Uh, um, yeah that's been another thing that i've heard about is oh well this is just a way to get cheap labor um it's expensive (laughs) labor yeah it's not cheap labor um i don't even know what the minimum wage is in washington state because we haven't paid it in a while because you pay way more yeah we pay 1634 is our minimum wage this year 
Um, and it goes up every year because how that works is they'll do a survey for the, you know, local labor in the area. And they'll survey the farm workers as well as the ag employers and ask them, hey, what is your rate that you're paying for picking bin of this type of apple, lug of cherries, the rate per hour in a certain in Washington state? So the, they will do that. And that will become the average wage, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the new minimum wage the next year. So it's like a vicious cycle Mm -hmm. that we are in, um, which makes it more expensive to get labor because obviously it's going to increase every year if the average wage becomes the minimum wage the next year. Right. So it's... That part is very difficult as a farmer. Are workers happy with what they're getting paid, what they're able to make working? Yeah. Yeah, no, workers are happy, especially when we're paying piece rate. Mm. Then they, yeah, they can make a lot of money. Like like I said, mom and dad, they made their living off of piece rate. We had a large family. Mm. If it wouldn't have been for piece rate work and being able to work a lot of hours doing piece rate, like, I don't know. We would have been skinny little kids. <laughs> like, we, we, <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. Um, but no, it's there. It's also like a way of living when you're a farm worker. We have some people that used to work at the warehouse and then they started getting their hours cut back because of all the, the overtime that happened in the warehouses. And then they came to the orchards and they were like, we don't know what we were doing. Like, <laughs> indoors, this is so beautiful. Like, it's hard work. Don't get me wrong. It is hard work but it's a it's something rewarding about like doing physical labor all day um and then like being compensated for it right Right. and being compensated nicely for it um but i'm not yeah so i'd say that they're they're happy like we you end up becoming especially on the size of our operation friends with all of your employees like we some of my siblings are are my especially my parents are godfathers godmothers to a bunch of these guys before covid we'd have gotten asadas especially during harvest at least once a week Mm. like just a get together and hey Let's go let's, at this location. Let's have a carne asada. We'll bring the meat. You guys bring some salsas. Like we're, we're like side things. Yeah. We're we're good to go. Um, and hopefully things start to seem to be getting back to normal now with COVID, um, and we can get back to that. It's it really is a sense of community, um, which is it's 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 rewarding in itself that part of it. But yeah. So do are the workers happy about the new change with overtime? What what are they saying about that? <laughs> that's a that's a good question. They are not very excited about it. Really? They are not very excited um because that's forcing us to cut back their hours. Um when especially if eventually it can be going to a 40-hour work week, people think, "Oh my goodness, you guys are exploiting these people. You're making them work all these hours." One, they could say no. Like mm. if like, "Hey, like, do you want to work this day? You know what? No, I want to go to Spokane with my family. Mm. Or I want to go to Wenatchee. Or, you know, I'm just tired. I don't I don't want to. Because what are you you're going to do? You can't, <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. It's like any other job. You don't, you're not forced. No one's being forced to work um, mm. on the H-2A contract. It's, there is a, like a clause that they have to complete like 75% of the contract. Mm. But our contract, I think, is like 32-hour weeks. And everyone wants to work more Mm. hours. Like, we can always offer them more, and they can say yes or no. But I've never had, like, a person say no to working more hours unless they have some type of family thing going on they're like yes i see that way i'm gonna have a bigger paycheck because that's what they're seeing it's almost like a competition too (laughs) like yeah like within themselves like all right like this is nice and um when they see their paycheck it's uh rewarding so why do you have to cut back their hours so people thought we were exploiting farm workers like Mm. like i was saying forcing them to work hours and then the senate and the house i'm not so so i kind of got involved a little bit this past Mm -hmm. year in politics but i don't know all the lingo (laughs) so feel free to correct me if i'm wrong but it started out as uh sb 5172 to cut back um or to not cut back hours. I, that's an unintended consequence. Mm. It had good intentions of doing overtime in ag. Mm-hmm. And if you are not familiar with the, how the ag labor works, 
especially peace, right? Yeah, heck yeah. Like, let's do ag overtime. Imagining like someone that hasn't grown up, right? Right. What they don't realize is ag labor is already at sixteen thirty four an hour. At least when they're doing piece right, they're probably like at thirty dollars an hour is probably what it really? averages out to. It's a lot of money. So as a farmer, it's gonna be I'm gonna be paying forty five dollars an hour once they get over forty hours and during harvest, right? And odds are they're going to get over 40 hours in a week during harvest. So that's, it, it's expensive. Like it's, we can not afford that. That's, I mean, that's pretty expensive. So what we can do is limit back the employees hours. Mm. Unfortunately, during the time they should be making the most money, it's going to be like any other week of the year. Mm. Um, it'll just be in regular work week. They're not going to be getting that bonus to, hey, like maybe I want to, buy a car or i want to invest in my kids education or i don't i don't know they could whatever they want to save up for they're not going to be able to have another means to get that money or they could go and work for another farmer as well i guess but then i don't that's going to be difficult (laughs) having to commute to two different jobs um instead of working more hours where you're used to working where you've worked for years where Mm -hmm. you have become friends with all of the other workers um and the employer and the on that farm um yeah so they're cutting back their hours to 40 which is an unintended consequence which something that i believe started out with good intent it was just a lack of knowledge on how how the agricultural community works yeah because some people are celebrating this as you know a, yes. a, a good day for farming a good day for workers in washington mm-hmm. but you're saying your workers aren't necessarily celebrating us no they're not especially um our, our local labor especially our local labor actually are the ones that are complaining about it mm. the most because usually they get more hours than than our h2a guys and they're used to working and they want to work more hours and they're like flor what are you doing like why are you guys starting to cut back our hours i'm like well next year like we're gonna have to start limiting because of the ag overtime and explaining the process to the process and what had happened to them like well why would they do that to us like like why Hmm. why are they cutting why are they forcing you guys to cut back our hours like well they thought we were exploiting you (laughs) Like yeah. they think farmers are evil and... And you just can't afford to pay that time and a half? Yeah, no. So in ag, I don't know how familiar you are with how the pricing works, but we are price takers. We're not price setters. Like it's the input cost, the cost of growing an apple or a cherry pear, whatever, keeps going up and our returns are about the same. Mm. Like, I don't know if you notice in the stores, the prices haven't increased that much. And if they have, that money is going to like the store makes the majority of the money. Like we send our fruit and there have been times on the bad years where there's a huge crop that we've got received a bill (laughs) after we've invested money all year and growing the fruit in labor and other input materials. And there was one year that happened to our parents and they ended up going bankrupt. And luckily, like, We've had siblings come back over here after we've received our educations and gotten jobs elsewhere to help mm-hmm. keep the orchard alive, to keep it going. Because um, it's it's a beautiful lifestyle to have an orchard and be able to work on it. And like I said, it's rewarding to do physical labor at the end of the day. You you feel pretty good about yourself. You know you're trying to, it sounds cheesy, but you're feeding the world, right? Mm-hmm. You're, can you imagine if farmers just disappeared because we all went out of business? And maybe there'd be like some, the large growers would probably stay around. But I think you lose that sense of community. Um, and I've worked for a larger farm and there's, it's good operations. Everything's fine, but it's not as close knit just because you simply do not have the time to develop those relationships like you do on a, on a smaller operations. Like you don't have time to be doing carne asadas every week. Yeah. Like it's, it's too much (laughs) to, um, but yeah. So are you born and raised here, Danaskit, went to school here or? Uh, so I was actually born in Wenatchee. Okay. Because that's yeah. where my parents were, were working at. And I, they got the orchard in 96. I was born in 93. I was three years old when we came over here. And I was a 12-year senior. have always gone to the Tenasket School District. Uh, graduated, went to WSU, mm. studied there, worked for a company, uh, a Kershaw Companies, uh, Kershaw Farm Labor Management was the, mm. the farm side of it for a few years, learned a lot. 
um, and came back over here to spend some time with the family. The folks are getting older, and they are a knowledge of wealth, both of them, and I wanted to learn more from them and spend time with them. And Yakima's pretty far from here, and it was hard to come and see, like, the kids' soccer games. And now, like, at the end of the day, you go and you watch the kids play soccer. They're not my own kids. They're my nieces and nephews. <laughs> if not, I would have been, yeah, I'm not a parrot. And I realize I'm sounding like an awful parrot. <laughs> but, um, and, like, spend time with the community. And it's nice because you go to town, and it's an agricultural community. So, like, it's, like, everyone knows everyone mm. um it's pretty neat the other day i went to the local grocery store and over the intercom someone sees me enter they're like miss maldonado i look up go cougs <laughs> so i went to wsu and i just shout back go cougs um but yeah so it's it, that's the nice thing about small towns small farmings everyone knows everyone um which is nice and most people are willing to share their their knowledge um and unfortunately with the increase in labor costs i think we're going to start to lose that mm. like we've already had people be like hey so you guys thinking about expanding because we're thinking about selling or at mm. least leasing um and that's and that's because of labor costs or what what is it that would cause orchards to call it quits it's just the increased cost yeah lab- labor is one of them it's expensive like it's expensive our returns haven't been that amazing mm-hmm. um especially like a bunch of farmers smaller ones at least in this area once again i'm just speaking for yeah. this, from what i'm familiar with for sure have switched to organic to try to get a, a premium right uh, get a higher return for all of the inputs because we're spending a lot of money we're investing a lot of money and even then like if unless it's like the best fruit mm. the price is a the greatest with in comparison to the increased input cost and labor is the highest input or one or if not the second highest depending on the the way that the farm is operated mm-hmm. but yeah it's that and the all the input materials you have to apply to the crop to keep it yeah worm free yeah but people tend to like that when they buy their fruit. Yeah, they don't like a little worm popping out. <laughs> you see a cute little worm of glasses yeah. all for the teachers, right? The yeah. little bookworm. Yeah. I was like, no. If that's in real life, <laughs> Yeah, no. Yeah, so it looks Bad all news. cute when you're in elementary school. And I remember looking at that like, oh, man, that's not good. That's not a good apple. Yeah. But um, Somebody needs to do something about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, what yeah. did you study at WSU? I forgot to ask you that. Yeah, so I the degree is agricultural food systems. So mm. I majored in organic food systems, or, or yeah, and uh, agricultural food security. It's okay. been a while. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's, but yeah, so that's what I I studied, and that's when pe- more people in this area were thinking about going organic, and I knew I wanted to go into ag. Should I wait for them to? That's uh, fine. So okay. it's a, it's it's farming. Yeah. There's okay. Noise. I was like, There's man, that's gonna be trucks, yeah. Pulling a tractor on a trailer behind us, no big deal. Yeah, perfect. But um, yeah, so that's what I studied at WSU, and then I interned with Domex Superfresh, and then worked for the Kershaw Farm Labor Management, so the orchard side of things over there. So I think you said it already, but when did you come back to the family orchard? The start of the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, January 2020. Wow. Yeah, and it was, that was an interesting year. Like, now we're more used to it, but right as COVID was happening, we were, like, in a hurry to look for face masks, and Mm -hmm. they were hard to find. One of the wives of one of our local guys was actually making masks, and she made us, like, 100 masks. Wow. Yeah, so it was it was great, and there were cute little designs on them. But um, so she started like a little side business during yeah. during that, and then the Tree Fruit Association and the I believe it was the Growers League. They did a wonderful yeah. job of distributing masks, and they even came all the way up to Tenasket. Mm. So that was nice, and gallons of hand sanitizer. Um, and just harvest was different because we're used to putting people like we want like a couple people on this tree. Let's go to like have the tractor moving constantly. Yeah. Um, and we couldn't do that this year. Like the guys, they, we could have we had face masks on the entire time, but the guys didn't like wearing the mask, which because it's physical work, like right. try jogging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With a face mask totally. on, it's 
I'm, yeah, that's difficult. So it's our logistics changed a little bit. Luckily, we had um, even previously we had cohorts of less than 15 just because of the way our setup is. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't um, that wasn't that difficult. So that's a benefit of being a smaller farmer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's when I came back to the to the family farm. Start of the pandemic, definitely a steep learning curve. So is your plan to continue it on? Yes, that is the goal. The goal is to stay here, keep farming alongside. I have uh, two of my siblings, Hector and Victor, and just grow fruit for as long as we can until we're forced to sell or until hopefully we can pass it on to the next generation. Yeah. Dad's already retired and he, he like will come at least like once a week and inspect, right? Yeah. See how everything's going and tell us what we could improve on. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's that's the goal. Just to grow fruit for as long as we can um my like what's it called pie in the sky or dream would be to have a packing house Mm. because yeah so that would be my dream but it's gonna take a while to get there (laughs) yeah or we'll see you never know you never know how long that takes um but i definitely want to stay in the agricultural industry um, if not here, somewhere else, uh, that's probably a larger farm that will stay in business for a while. Yeah. I'll probably do that. So you're not sure if you'll be able to keep it going until the next generation? It's, no, I do, honestly, I don't know. What's your biggest fear with that? That it's just going to be parceled off and it's not going to be farmland anymore because mm. being in this area, it's it's not like the orchards like in Quincy area that are flat farms, easy to rip out and put in new plantings. Yeah. Um, so it's expensive. If you look at the hillsides, it's not as easy um, to to farm. But yeah. So my biggest fear is, is that it's going to be parceled off and all the orchard that you see is just going to become houses. Like look at the other side of the river. This was all orchard. And yeah. now you just see houses or grass. Right? <laughs> even up here in Tenasket, it's yeah, happening. Even yeah. up here in Tenasket, like my mom and dad, almost every time we leave town, they're like, oh my goodness, like OMAC is growing so much. Like going through a smaller town called Riverside, there was only that one house out there, <laughs> and look at all these houses now. Yeah. And wow, everyone's coming over here. Um, it's still a small town, yeah. but for mom and dad, it's a huge change, and it really is. Um, yeah, if you drive around, um, we can drive around later, and I'll show you. This orchards are being ripped out, like right and left. Um, a lot of pear orchards in the area because pear prices haven't been the the greatest. Mm. The other day, I was driving around with my nephew, and he's like, "Tia," that's Ant in Spanish, by the way. He's like, "Tia Flor." He's like, "What are all those meatballs on the hillside?" I'm like, "Oh my goodness, this kid's crazy." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What are you talking about, meatballs on the hillside?" You see those big old meatballs? Well, it was piles of pear trees that had been stacked that looked like meatballs from far away. It was like, yeah. well, it's, that's an orchard that got ripped out. Oh, well, why is that? Like, well, the prices aren't that great. And, mm. well, what are they going to do? Like, you know, kids ask a million questions. And I don't know. Something. They're going to do something else. And hopefully they plant something else there. But if not, um, become homes or mm. something else. So the biggest reason that you wouldn't be able to continue on would just be because there's you can't afford to do it. There's not enough money in it. Yeah, that would be the biggest uh, not being able to afford to do it. Like as is, we're not making that much money. We're not like if you want to be a farmer, do not do it for the money, <laughs> unless yeah. you already have millions to invest, like yeah. Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> then you right. can you can buy all the stuff to make it efficient and the best technology. And then you can probably make it make it work. It'll be a good investment. But if you're a smaller farmer and you think you're going to become rich, mm. go do something else. <laughs> go get any other job. Any other job, you'll probably end up making more money. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, we joke, or I joke around, like, man, I with the H-2A program. Like, I should just go work for the neighbor. <laughs> like, mm. I should just go work for the neighbor. I have more money to reinvest in the farm. <laughs> But um, obviously it's a joke, right. but uh, it's yeah, it's expensive. So hopefully our returns increase or something happens um, to be able to uh, balance the increased cost. Um, but yeah, like, we're not trying to get rich here. <laughs> Just try to make a decent, like anyone else, right? Yeah, for Just, sure. Yeah, but definitely the lifestyle is why we're, we're sticking around. Uh, yeah, putting up a good fight until we're, <laughs> until we can no longer. 
What do you think our state's leadership and, and the public back in like Seattle or in Spokane or wherever needs to know about farming in this state to keep it? Because a lot of people are like, yeah, we love, you know, local grown food and stuff grown here in Washington. But at the same time, I'm hearing a lot of stuff from pretty much every farmer I talk to, like yourself, like it is tough. We're not sure how long we're going to be able to make it. Well... <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> and yeah. I, I think, you know, people would want to know, like, what needs to change to, to make sure that we keep more of this here. I think people need to start using their voice, speaking up, uh, reach out to the people in charge of running things, right? To the senators, to representatives. Mm. And if they truly want small farming to exist, right? To stay, stay, continue to be in operation. Like, help us somehow. <laughs> Don't increase our cost and just expect us to be able to get money from some, I don't know, maybe they think there's gold hidden in the soil. <laughs> I honestly... I don't know. Like, we're not abusing our employees. You'll see, the only news you ever see is bad press for agriculture, it seems like, or at least that's what catches people's attention. Yeah. Um, come out and visit. Mm. Visit farms. Like, just educate your, that, that almost sounds rude, but um, do some research. Mm -hmm. Do some research. Visit orchards. I Odds are that if you go to a local farmer and be like, hey, tell me a little bit of your, uh, could you tell me a little bit about your operation? They're going to be happy. Yeah. They're like, oh my goodness, someone that's like is willing to learn and listen, then like realize that the fruit doesn't come from the grocery store. Like it comes mm -hmm. from the farmer first or the milk doesn't come like just open the refrigerator. <laughs> it comes from cows. Um, but anyways, that's an, it, just go out, open your eyes. Don't be, listen to definitely what people have to say with an open mind. Don't be closed off and visit a farm. Talk to a farmer, see what they have to say before passing all these laws that will have a negative effect on the farmer and the farm worker as well. When you go out to the farms, talk to the farm workers. See what they have to say, mm. what they think about all the laws that are passing and their thoughts on it. And specifically ask about peace rate work because I've spoken to people and had this conversation they're like well we've talked to farm workers and they say yeah they want overtime it's like but did you explain to them i was like yeah every yes that's did you explain to them that once overtime happens their hours are going to be getting cut back including their hours during harvest that's the that was my challenge to the mm -hmm. there was a person that had specifically had that conversation with i was yeah. like okay next time you see a farm worker like explain that to them it's like, we're not trying to be rude by cutting back their hours during harvest. So we literally cannot afford it. Hmm. Like bigger operations probably can. But even then, it's an increased cost to them. And their overhead is like, right, it covers more. <laughs> but you can only push them X amount as well. Um, but So what was the response when you said that? What did that person say? They said, okay. The, the time was running up and... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's what I haven't spoken to them since. Yeah, but hopefully they they reach out to them because it's yeah that should be the challenge actually. Ignore everything else I said. <laughs> Go talk to a farm worker. Yeah, talk to farm workers, different farm workers in different areas, right? Different industries. I'm not that familiar with other industries, but if they have peace rate, I guarantee they're going to want to work a lot of hours during peace rate. Or like you can quote me on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, it's yeah and when a law is passing that like it had a good intentions i believe the people that um passed it had good intentions a good heart but look at the big picture look ask hey what are the unintended consequences that this is gonna have like how is this gonna affect you how is it gonna affect others in the community and what's the large impact right yeah because um, if you just read it, it does sound like a win. Like if my parents just saw ag overtime, right? Oh, that's awesome. And my parents were saying that is awesome when it passed. And then we're like, hey, mom, dad, peace rate. And like started talking to them about it. And they're like, oh, that is not awesome. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, that is not cool. Like what are, what's Fernando and Heidi? What are they going to do? Like, but um, anyway, those are a couple of our, our local people. Mm -hmm. But um, it, there are unintended consequences that people with good hearts like made. Mm -hmm. um, but that's something that we're going to have to live with. Maybe they'll put some type of uh, exemption during peak harvest or something, and that would work uh, nicely. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I think, yeah. You say go talk to farm workers. Is that happening? Are people really hearing from farm workers? Certainly there are groups that 
you know, are farm worker advocates, right? Are yeah, there are some groups that are farm worker advocates that say they have the best intention for the farm worker, and maybe they're they maybe they think they do. Mm. I I don't know, but I have like from my experience, they are not voicing the actual. They, I do not believe it is right that they claim to be the voice of farm workers. Mm. If you go out and you talk to farm workers and they are saying the opposite, mm. like it's yeah, go talk to farm workers. I think you get yeah. a better story. So why you wouldn't get, those groups be doing that? Why wouldn't they be talking to? Maybe they're not part of. They're not paying their union fees or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mm. I maybe I shouldn't say that, but I that's yeah. I am not sure. Um, it's so you're saying there's actually more to the story here, yeah? I, what, I th- f- about what farm workers really think. Yes, that's mm. why I go straight to the farm worker. Ignore, ignore me. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Just only advice it, if people walk away from listening to this with the challenge and accepting the challenge to talk to a farm worker instead of talking, talk to the farmer to like become educated mm. and be like, hey, could I go talk to some farm workers or just. Go out, and odds are, if it's an agriculture area, you're going to find yeah. a farm worker um, and talk to them. Don't listen to people that are claiming to be the voice of them. I am not the voice of farm workers. I, yeah, I can't pretend to be. I know from personal experience, from my family's experience, um, what it is like. But I, people can say I'm biased because I'm a farmer. Yeah, they can say, oh no, you're just saying that because you're the farmer and you don't want to spend more money. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about people that claim to be the voice of... I don't know how to answer that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's probably... I Once again, those started as, as something great. Farm workers did have a very difficult time. Um, if you look at agricultural history, we are living in different different times now. Yeah. Um, we have, like, yeah, maybe there's one or two couple bad guys out there. But the majority of us are good. And maybe they're trying... They talk to someone that had a bad experience or is angry with their employer, or literally just had a bad experience and that a bad employer should be punished. Um, and they think it's like that for everyone. I think farmers have a negative stigma. They think we are slave drivers. Huh. Like, they were, one of the senators, I believe, was trying to pass a law where ag employers would have to be like, hey, I am not a slave owner. This is not indentured servitude. Like, this isn't all this stuff. I'm like, okay, so what? <laughs> What are you trying to like? What are you trying to say here? Yeah, it's pretty insulting when you have people that are like family members, right? Yeah. Um. But yeah, people say there can be an element of discrimination though, and all of that that dynamic with farm workers and farmers and stuff too. Have you seen that or heard about that or experienced that? An element of discrimination. How so? They say there's like racial discrimination and how farmers treat farm workers and things like that. I. <laughs> No. Um, one, I'm Mexican, so it's like I'm obviously not discriminating against my own kind. That'd be silly. Yeah. Um, other farmers, like, they no. If people are being discriminated against, then, yeah, speak up. Go get an attorney. Yeah. Start screaming until you yep. get, like, there's a lot of free. If that is actually the case, that is not okay. Yep. However, from what I've seen, from the farms I visited, from the areas I've worked at, that is not the case. Like, why would you could say that about any job? Like, teachers, you could say, okay, they're being discriminated. Like, yeah. it's yeah. I think that comes probably comes down to the person, not the industry. And if they are being discriminated against, speak up, use your voice. There are anonymous yeah. reporting things. Um, and they say farm workers won't do that because they're worried about losing their job, or worse, you know, they're worried about being investigated as far as their immigration status and all this kind of stuff. So they're kind of like forced into silence if something bad happens. Yeah, if they're actually being discriminated against, I believe they get a they can like the, I'm not sure. I am not an attorney. I believe mm-hmm. there are laws that would help yeah. them stay here. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and there are uh, the farm worker advocates go out. My brother. Um, is the MSFW migrant like people from the government will go out have free access to these orchards right mm-hmm. and they will go and tell the they'll hand out pamphlets if you are being discriminated against here you go call us here's an anonymous line you can report it to you can go to the DOL website to report it like there are different uh, different means of reporting it um, and once again if that's the case in uh, one specific farm yeah. then then report it but there are means um, I understand why people would have that 
why people would think that fear is there. Yeah. Um, but there are different sources, like the ag industry. If you're messing up, odds are someone's going to catch you. Yeah. And yeah. I guess part of the reason I even bring all of that up is going back to that overtime issue mm-hmm. and the the court case that started that whole thing. That was one of the arguments was that, well, this idea that there's an exemption for farm workers because, you know, a, a majority of farm workers right now are Hispanic mm-hmm. yeah, in so, their background. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but when that law passed, like majority of farm workers were white. Mm-hmm. They, I've read that. Yeah, they they were white. Um, it was meant as a means, like for, oh, from okay, from what I know, overtime is to keep the employer from like forcing people to work that much, right? Hmm. In ag, people want to work more, especially when it's peace rate. Um, and I don't think we're the only. I think there's still a few other uh, people that are exempt from overtime. Um, yeah, I think I heard yeah. like realtors and mm-hmm. flight attendants and yeah, like that. There's yeah, still so exemptions for that out there. Yeah, and it was predominantly white farm workers. Um, I'm not the greatest at history, but that's what. <laughs> if yeah, yeah, if you're driving drive through OMAC here in Okanagan County, there's actually a gorgeous mural, and it's uh, farm workers picking some apples. Um, like when you're heading towards uh, Spokane, and it, they're all white. Mm. Like, they're not people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at it today, the majority of farm workers are people of color. So maybe that's why people think that. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably why they, they think it. So what are you looking forward to this harvest? Is it going to be a good one? Um, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope for cherries that there's no rain so they don't split. I hope that we have low pest pressure and the prices are good because if none of that matters if we have amazing fruit and the prices aren't good. So if, if w- when the cherries are ripe on the tree, if they get rained on, they'll, then it'll cause the fruit to split open? Yeah, they split open. They will. And then the crop is ruined? Yeah, he, no, no one wants a split cherry, right? Will it happen to all of them if it rains? Or uh, do you have to like depending. go pick through and then see? Like, So if it's a little bit of rain, you can go and pick through and see. Let's say you, the majority of your fruit is like that. You, it's not going to be too expensive to pick it. Like hopefully you have crop insurance. Huh. And yeah. And that'll help. But also, like, even with any other, well, I don't know any other fruit, but, like, or apples and pears, if they're split open, you don't want to put them in the bin um, because they can decay. It increases the decay and everything, and one bad apple messes up the bin, right? (laughs) But, yeah, so that's how. So, hopefully, that's what I'm I'm wishing for. Well, good luck. Good harvest. Hope for no rain for your cherries. Thank you. And everything to go smoothly. When will you finally be all done and you can uh, kick back a little bit more? Well, because of... November, end of October, <laughs> depending depending on the weather. Whew. It'll depend on the weather, but we're yeah, like I said, probably oh gosh, in a couple weeks. Yeah, it's end of May already. I don't need yeah. <laughs> go go go. Yeah, it's gonna be go go go, and we'll see how it. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, good luck to you, and thanks for having me out here to the orchard. This is this yeah, is no, awesome and sharing your story. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much, and yeah. Once again, talk to farm workers. <laughs> go, people, reach out. Yeah. Go talk to the farm workers and see what they have to say go straight to the source right yeah exactly this is the real food real people podcast these are the stories of the people who grow your food 